You're listening to a message from Streams Church in Litchfield Park, Arizona. For more content, visit streamschurch.org. And so actually that was, uh, that brings me to uh, what I want to share with you guys this morning. And when I was trying to think about what I wanted to share from this trip, what really hit me, I've been thinking a lot about things this week. And, and that was that was sort of the core concept is this this long game that we run in Japan. And so you might not know this. I'm not a very patient man. Why are you laughing? <laughs> You'd think, being a pastor and all, patience would be one of those virtues that I don't have a problem with, right? Because pastors are supposed to be patient. I'm not patient at all. I have no patience. I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait in lines. You know when you go to Sam's or Costco, and especially on a Saturday, the place is a nightmare on a Saturday or a Sunday, and you're ready to go out, you got all your stuff, and there's that line at the door so that they can check your receipt. And there's like 40 people waiting in it. And every person has two carts. And they're making sure to mark it. I don't wait in that line. I don't. I don't wait in it. I just go out the door. And then they start to freak out because they think I'm stealing something. And they send some other person from another part of the, the store to come check my receipt. I don't wait in that line. I hate waiting in that line. I feel like I'm being held prisoner at Costco. Not a very patient man. If it's longer than three or four people, I just skip it. I don't go to places where there are long lines. As a matter of fact, how many of you guys have been to Rudy's yet? New barbecue place? It's pretty awesome, let me tell you. But because it's so awesome, the line is really long. And so we went there yesterday for lunch, which was a terrible idea because we walked in and the line's out the door. And then I noticed that there's a little takeout counter right on top to the side. Nobody's in that line. I'm like, hey, is that a takeout counter? And they're like, yeah. And so we order our food, and the lady's like, wait, are you going to eat it here? And I'm like, no, I feel like that's cheating since we just went around the line, and I don't want to feel guilty, so we're going to go punish ourselves by eating outside in the 110-degree heat. And we did. It was worth it because I didn't have to wait in that line. I'll skip a grocery run if the lines at the store are too long. I'll put the milk down and be like, we can last. We don't need milk. We got water. We need milk for I'll eat cereal on my checks. I hate waiting. Waiting makes me frustrated. It seems to me my time could be much better spent than waiting in a line or waiting in a line or any other thing that I have to be patient for because I can't do much while I wait. I don't have the ability to actually get anything done. I just have to wait. Uh, and one of the things that makes ministry in Japan so unique is that it requires waiting. Copious amounts of waiting, in fact. Um, a lot of missions trips are sort of instant gratification. If you go to a third world country, you go build a well or you build a house or you do something like that, you run a camp, and people are instantly amazed and they turn to Jesus as a result. A lot of times people come back from those trips talking about how many people got saved, which is great. So many salvations happened. We just don't have that in Japan. We can't come back and tell you 11 people got saved because it just doesn't happen that quickly. You can't go over there for two weeks and make it happen. Japan's just not like that culturally. In Japan, it's all about relationships. And so if you know anything about our church... You know, that's a big part of the reason that we're drawn there. Relationships is, is sort of what we do. They're who we are. 
Um, not only as a church, but as humans created in God's image. Relationships are just uh, part of our DNA. They're part of who we're built to be. And so when we go to Japan, when we send a team, we're facilitating the relationships. Uh, they begin with a laugh and a card game or a taco or 5,000 of them because we made 5,000 tacos. I don't know if it was actually 5,000, but it may as well have been. We go there because you just can't get good tacos in Japan. That might come as a shock to you, but you can't. And so we take a lot of the ingredients that you need and, and we make them tacos and we have a Mexican dinner and that's one of the draws. And so we make a billion tacos and we share tacos with them and they eat them with chopsticks, which is really weird. <laughs> and so we play a silly game or we, we share a handshake and a, a language barrier introduction where nobody really knows what the person's name is or how old they are or anything about them. But there's a connection that's made in that moment. And then those relationships are fostered by people who live in the culture, who are part of the culture, and who know Jesus. And then they're given the chance to show people how Jesus has changed them. And after much time, much prayer, and a lot, a lot, a lot of waiting, sometimes someone changes. Sometimes someone hearts, someone's hearts turn. Sometimes something happens. Now, I don't like to wait, but I'm also sure you don't like to wait. And I'll tell you why in just a second. As much as we're inclined to relationships, we aren't inclined to waiting. Um, how many of you guys have ever been to the DMV? <laughs> Who loves the DMV? Nobody loves the DMV. Nobody loves the DMV. Even people who work there don't like the DMV. <laughs> Nobody likes the DMV. Whenever anybody talks about having to wait or something being frustrated, there, there's like two things that come up. The DMV and cable guys, right? Because you always got to wait at the DMV, and you always got to wait for cable guys. At the DMV, you go and you get a little ticket, and it's like 4,336, and they're on two. So yeah, I hope you got a book, because you're going to be there a while. Three or four days, in fact. Hope you brought a tent. Nobody likes the DMV. We hate the DMV because the DMV is the epitome of waiting. Here they call it the MVD. And that tripped me up when I was writing this because I said, do I call it the DMV or do I call it the MVD? Because it's called the MVD here, but are enough of the people in our congregation natives that they won't know what I'm talking about if I say the DMV? I want you to know I spent like 10 minutes trying to decide which acronym to use. And I couldn't decide, so I put both in there somewhere. So at some point you're going to hear me refer to it as the MVD. Anyway, sometimes you only have to wait for an hour. Sometimes you have to wait all day. And then you got the cable guys. They give you a window. Oh, we'll be there between 8 and 12. And then at like 9.30 at night, you finally get the knock on the door and there's the cable guy. And for some reason, he can't install it and he has to come back. But he says, oh, I'll really make the window next time, I promise. And he doesn't. Waiting is against our nature. We're just not inclined to wait. It's not something that we are excited about. It's not something we're passionate about. Nobody likes to wait. And one of the things I've learned over my short 27 years is that God lives in the waiting. God works 
in the waiting, in fact. And so I, I, I want to read a story that I think really epitomizes this well out of Scripture. Um, and it's in John chapter 11, and it's about Lazarus. You've probably heard it a million times. But anyway, here we go. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he says, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, OK, let's go back to Judea. Um, when it comes to sickness, especially sickness, time is, is sort of of the essence. In fact, if you've ever watched House, um, and, and that is your sole source of medical knowledge, as it is mine, <laughs> then you know that things can turn south very quickly, usually right before a commercial happens. So if you see a commercial coming in your life, you better look out because something bad is about to happen. Just saying. Watch a lot of house. <laughs> Time's crucial when it comes to matters of health. And Lazarus' sisters knew this and knew that Jesus was Lazarus' only hope. And they knew that he must go immediately if they were to get their brother back to health. If they were going to grasp him back from the jaws of death. There was not a question. It wasn't like, oh yeah, you've got some time, Jesus. Whenever you get around to it, they're like, no, you got to go now. Like, it's not, he's not going to last. Jesus being Jesus, knew that time is merely a human construction and he could work in whatever time he deemed fit. And so he didn't necessarily see the need to rush uh, because there were some other things that had to be done first. And so continuing on, it says, Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. Verse 31, when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Here in this moment, Jesus just straight up defies time, right? Our understanding of time is that it can't be reversed. When something happens, it's happened. You can't go back and undo that thing, right? There is no control Z for life. 
really wish there was, but there's not. So we can't undo things. Our, our understanding of time dictates that. Jesus, on the other hand, is outside of time, right? Understands that he can do anything. That time is just something that, that we've sort of invented to help our brains understand the nature of our existence. And so he does whatever he wants. And in the waiting, that gap between verses 7 and 31, Jesus plants a couple of seeds that later go on to prove himself as the Messiah. He makes enough of an appearance at enough of the right places, does just the right things to set it up so that when he completes this miracle that he started, right, that, that Mary and Martha are waiting for, people know what happened. What seems like futile huffing about to the sisters is the actual work of God in action. The seeds germinate when Jesus finally raises Lazarus, right? That's the moment that they break through the earth and actually begin to grow. Waiting is really hard, and we often think that God is absent while we're waiting. So uh, my daughter is, is two, and um, she doesn't quite trust us yet. And I'm going to tell you how I know that. If we tell her we're going shopping which is already one of her favorite pastimes, but I'll spare you the cliche between women and shopping. We'll just leave that alone for today. She already loves shopping. And so if we tell her we're going shopping, she believes us until it takes longer than 13 seconds to get to the store. At which point she will inquire, where are we going? Are we going shopping? And we will always patiently, always patiently, we never run out of patience with our two-year-old, we always patiently reply, yes, Reagan, we're going shopping, just like we were five minutes ago. Oh, okay, is what she says. Not really quite sure. And then she's satisfied for at least another 17 seconds. And then the car makes another turn that she doesn't expect, that she's not prepared for. And she doesn't see a store, and her confidence is dashed. And she must once again ask to ensure that we are, in fact, going shopping. And it continues like this until we finally arrive at the store over and over again. Are we still going shopping? Yes, honey, we're going shopping. Are you sure? Because I don't see any shopping. I don't see any stores. It's been like 45 seconds and we're not shopping yet. Are you lying to me? And then finally we arrive at the store and she goes, hey, we're going shopping. And I'm like, I know. We're the same way. As much as I hate to admit it, we're no better than my two-year-old daughter. God has already promised us so much, so many things that we likely can't even begin to imagine the depth or breadth of them. We just have no hope of, of understanding that. Yet if any of those things takes even slightly longer than we think it should, we have to ask again. Are, are you sure that's what's going to happen? Is this really going to be like, this is really for my benefit. You're sure about that? And each time we ask, we have a little less patience than we did the time before. Until finally, our belief withers out with the last of our patience. And we just go, I, whatever, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's not, it's not happening. You've taken too long. You have no idea what I need anymore. It's just not happening. This year in Japan, I got to help baptize a student that Alan was talking about, Nobu. Uh, we were actually there just to make sure the riptide didn't pull him away. 
but I consider that help. So we were in the ocean and it was a really cool moment for me because I met him several years ago, the very first time he came to homestay. And they're, they're always so awkward when they come the first time. Like when we meet them, they're always so awkward because they know like three words of English and sign language is the best they can do otherwise and very poorly drawn pictures. And so it's so hard to have a conversation with them. And then over the years, every time he comes back, he's got better and better English and he's able to communicate the concepts that he wants to talk about a little better. And um, it was just so cool because a few of our students who were on the trip were actually at club when he came the, the very first time. When he was just a random university student whose name they couldn't really remember, they were there uh, years ago, in fact. And the seed was planted that year when he came to club and made some connections. And then for the next few years, it was carefully cared for by the missionaries in place over there. It was given a good shot of sunlight and water by the services that they regularly held. Uh, they do a Monday lunch for all the university students where they just get together and hang out. And occasionally it got a spot of fertilizer when we came back year after year when you guys supported us and enabled us to go and continue this mission. He was exposed to Jesus right here at Streams during homestay. I think he came three times, two or three times. So he was in these seats probably four or five times total and saw you guys worshiping, saw you guys responding to the word of God, and it changed him. Something inside of him clicked. Finally, it culminated in his baptism. And this is the picture that God gave me the other night as I, as I was thinking about this. This is so cool to me. As I was reading that scripture and thinking about Nobu and his journey, Jesus called him out of his own cave. Jesus called Nobu out of his cave. He called him out of his burial clothes and into new life with him. And when Nobu came back up out of the water... He was changed. His burial clothes were gone. Anything that had happened in the past, anything he was still carrying, anything the enemy was trying to hold over him was gone. And it was all part of this big picture that God had painted. Like it or not, waiting is part of who we are. It's a part of our life, and it's a place that God works. And so I want to ask you today, what are you waiting for? today? What's that thing that you're just out of patience and you're out of belief on that you've been asking God for? Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it a reconciliation? What is it you have exhausted your supply of belief and patience on? I want to tell you that, that he's waiting and you're waiting and he's working. But here's the thing that you need to take away. Just like Lazarus was called out of that cave, he will call you too out of the water. He will call you too out of that burial place. Wherever you have laid down with that thing and said, it's not going to happen, I give up, there's no more growth, he's going to call you out of there by name. And he's doing it for his glory. All the waiting is just setup time for him to set it up so that, so that by your story, by your testimony, and this is the cool thing too. People are going to hear about what happened in Obu, right? About how these far flung crazy Americans came from someplace called Arizona 
how he had an experience with them one year and then another year. And then he came to their to their land and ate tacos and went to their church and experienced the love that that family, the prices have housed and the, the love that they've showered on him. And it changed him. People are going to hear about that. More university students are going to come. People here are going to hear about Nobu's story. You're going to hear this story today. You're going to share it with people. You're going to tell them about how, hey, our church is part of this mission in Japan. And a kid that, that actually, you know, he got baptized and his life has changed. People are going to come to Jesus just because of that story. It's the ripple effect. And so because of one person getting called out of the water, because of one person being patient, because of one church being patient to see that it's not fruit that appears instantly, but rather fruit that grows, who knows how many lives are going to be changed? Who knows how many people are going to be called out of the burial place because of that? Here's the thing. When we approach waiting, knowing it's working in God's time, things change. It's not necessarily easier to wait because we're still not wired to wait. It's still not something we really enjoy doing. But it feels better. Because honestly, we can't trust the DMV not to forget about us. They probably will forget about us. They'll all just go home and you'll still be sitting there with 4,302. But Jesus has promised to remember us forever. He's promised to remember us forever. Among so many other things that He's promised us. I want you to have peace today because He's working in your waiting. So I'm going to invite the worship team up and I just want to pray for you. And I really want you to think about whatever it is that you've given up on because we all have something. You know, we all have that thing that we've just put away and tucked away because it's never going to change. It's never going to get any better. It's just taken too long. And so we, we literally bury it. And I really want you to just surrender that thing to the Lord and say, I'm, I'm comfortable waiting. I don't like it, but I trust you because I know you're working. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are so good. And it's so exciting to see the fruit of what you're building, Lord. It's so exciting to see how you work either with our help or even in spite of us, Lord, that you are so powerful that nothing can stop you, that nothing can stand in your way. And that no matter what happens, you continue to change lives. And so we thank you so much, Lord, for Nobu. We just thank you so much that you got to him, Lord, that, that your spirit spoke to him and that he was changed. And I'm sure there was a period of waiting for him. I'm sure there was a time of, of uncertainty, Lord, a time where he didn't know if he really wanted to make that call or not. He didn't really know if he wanted to change. But finally he did. Finally, your spirit spoke to him. And so I pray this morning that every person here as they think about that thing that they've buried, that thing that they've given up on, I just pray that you would remind them that you are working in their waiting. I just pray that you would give them peace, that glory will be given to you as a result of their waiting, Lord.
And I just ask that you'd whisper to each one of their hearts that you have not forgotten, that you will never forget, because you've promised us that. And so we look to you this morning, Lord, in our waiting, in our joy, in everything in between, Lord, and we trust you with all of it. And we will continue to wait on you because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you know way better than we do. In Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Streams Church in Litchfield Park, Arizona. Visit streamschurch.org for service times, general information, and more.